Product Stacks is brought to you by Storyblock, one of the world's fastest growing headless CMSs. A headless CMS like Storyblock separates the back end from the front end. By moving to an API based CMS like Storyblock, you can publish your content to any front end, whether that's your marketing website or directly inside your product. Developers love Storyblock because they can use it with any front end framework they prefer and create components that can be reused anywhere as content blocks, cutting development time in half. Content teams are excited about the discussions feature built directly into Storyblock's visual editor. No more Slack or email threads to discuss content changes. Join 86,000 developers plus companies like Harvard Business School, Adidas, Netflix, Oatly, and Pizza Hut who all use Storyblock by trying a free demo at storyblock.com slash department of product. Go to storyblock.com slash department of product. That's Storyblock with a K at the end slash department of product. Joining us today is Camila Fisco from Uber, and Camila is a product manager working on the platforms team. So thanks very much for joining us, Camila. Lovely to have you. Lovely to have you with us. So thanks for inviting me. I, ho I hope you enjoy it today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we talked a little bit beforehand, but you were saying, you know, you work, given that you work on, on, on platforms, sometimes that area of product management doesn't always get the kind of exposure that perhaps it should and perhaps it deserves. So we're looking forward to seeing how, you know, a different type of product management can, can work and the types of tools that, that you would use. So, so with that, do you, do you want to give us a bit of a background as to, you know, who you are and the types of products that you work on? Yeah. So I guess I can give you a bit of a background on how I became a product manager, because I guess many folks here probably are trying to make this transition. So my road was, wasn't very straightforward. I had a bit of a winding road. I graduated in economics, then went to business school, and my very first job was in the perfume industry. And okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very different from, from technology. But then I realized that I actually wanted to become involved in technology. So I took on a bunch of internships in tech companies at IBM and at Google, and this was more in business roles, so more sales marketing roles. And then I started out at Uber actually in marketing. I was working in performance marketing, so both in analytics and in CRM. So CRM is that team that is managing the whole communication workflow, which is like emails, push notifications, and so on and so forth. And then there, I really got interested into building software and I was able to make this transition from marketing to product management within Uber. That's really interesting because there's no one set route into, into product management. Every product person that we speak to has a, has a quite a unique path into it. And often we'll get asked, you know, what is the best way to transition into product? And we always say, well, there, there isn't really a, you know, a formal path. You might get some certifications, you might learn certain things online, but actually it's just about gaining some relevant experience and then often just jumping into it, you know, sideways, like, as, as many people did. And, and, and transitioning from marketing is, is quite a common approach. And how have you found that transition from, from marketing and from your background into, into product so far? Yeah, well, I mean, I really, I really love it here and I, I see myself continuing my career in product management, but. What I learned on the marketing side was extremely valuable because you do learn a lot of skills. Like, for example, I was working a lot with creative people. So you learn that side. I was also working on performance marketing. So analytics played a very important role, like how to set up A-B tests and also working on technical solutions for, for CRM. That, that was also something that helped me a lot. And kind of, I did already have some foundations for the role when I started it. So I guess that 
that is good because product management is such a broad role that you can come from different backgrounds and there's almost likely something that you've learned previously that you will have to reuse, readapt, build upon. So yeah, yeah that's for, for people coming from, yeah, from different backgrounds. Very nice. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, and it's it's one of those areas where you could never really stop learning about it as well because it's such a complex mix of business, technology, design, strategy, marketing. Like the, you, you feel like you're constantly trying to keep up with with all the latest trends. Yeah. You never feel like you're fully fully there yet, which is one of the reasons why we wanted to do this this series, which is to help other product managers understand how product managers like yourself are doing are doing product. So, so with that, shall we? Before we delve into your product stack, shall we take a look at some of the high level ways in which you do product in in your team? The three areas that we thought we could use to kind of set the context were around roadmap and strategy, your team setup, and then also software development process. So if we start with roadmap and strategy, how, how do you typically decide what goes on your roadmap and how do you decide things like, you know, target audience and, and other, other strategic decisions like that? Yeah, so I guess like tar- target audience is a bit easier for us because it depends on which team you're in. So in my in my case, I'm working in the ad tech team. So yeah. the ad tech team at Uber is, and I'll, I'll speak a bit more about it later, but it's basically a team that works internally to optimize how we do marketing and to build tools for channel managers to set up campaigns at scale and, and at speed and also so that these campaigns perform better. And in that sense, we, we have different processes to set up strategy and roadmap. So it's actually quite formalized. So okay. on yeah, so on the strategy piece, we have usually group into working groups. So in my working group, it will be PMs that are kind of leading the discussions, but then there are engineers, there are data scientists, there are channel managers. And we usually do this work. We're actually doing it right now to set up the strategy and it's done maybe on a, it's two year, three year plans. That's on quite the a long... we want to go. That, yeah. That is just kind of like the direction where we want to go as a team, but then the roadmap that's, that's actually much shorter. So then what, what are actually the initiatives that we're taking on? We decide every six months. Now, of course, like sometimes there are some tweaks to the roadmap because, for example, of working in ad tech, we are also dependent on what is happening on third parties, like on Google ads or on Facebook ads. So we do need to also adjust sometimes our roadmap based on that. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And who's typically like involved in that process of deciding what goes on the on the roadmap? Uh, so usually I would say like it's both tops down and bottoms up. So yeah. top down, it's a bit like the, the leadership team, they might have some strategic priorities in mind and then b- bottoms up, it's our users. So it's the channel managers. So okay. I do spend a lot of time doing user interviews with them, which I mean, that that is one good thing about being an internal PM is that it's much easier to speak to users. Yes. Uh, yeah. But then, of course, I mean, there are also there is also a type of work that it's neither coming top down or bottoms up, but are opportunities that we identify within the product team or within the engineering team of things where we think that we should put emphasis on because they can really bring business value. OK, perfect. And moving on to your, your team setup, what does it what does a team typically look like for someone working in the platform team? Yeah. 
So we do have an engineering lead and a product manager. And then we have around, let's say, other six engineers on the U design is not actually so important as a platform team because we do build internal products. So it's a bit of a less important component, and, but data science plays a much more important role as we build a lot of algorithm to optimize how, for example, how we spend, how we bid on marketing campaigns or how we set up geographic targeting on marketing campaigns. And so algorithms play a very important role in my team. And this is why data science is important here. And do you work in like a, in a squad setup? So would the data scientist, I know you, you, and you mentioned you also have like a, was it six engineers as well? Yeah. Uh, would that be what comprises a single team? No, actually we're all separate teams. Ah, okay. So we work in a squad where we're separate teams and we we are working on a project by project basis but this is i think this is to keep the flexibility of allocating resources into different areas yeah that's interesting so if you needed to if you did if there was a time where you needed to to use a data scientist or, or a ux or a designer would you then almost have to to bid for their time is that how it works uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't say we would have to in some way, yes, but but not really, because we are doing the roadmap and the planning process together. Yeah, okay. Uh, so if there is a certain initiative that we want to take on, we will allocate time, make sure that each team member has time dedicated to it. Okay, fair enough. Perfect. Yeah. It's, re it's really interesting to see how different types of teams are, are structured. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I mean, like, this is not uber wide. I think it's also team specific. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. Perfect. And then finally, before we delve into your, into your product stack, what is your typical software development process? Yeah. So we work in sprints. So it's a bi-weekly sprint. Now, usually what I've noticed that bigger tech companies like Uber or Google or Facebook are not that strict on agile development process. So we do work in sprints, but actually we do have a sprint goal, but it's more about actual delivery of milestones, which could be in or, or outside of the sprint. I mean, we, we do have this, I would say we have a bit more flexibility. Okay, perfect. And we'll come on to, to talk about some of the, the tools and the products that you use in relation to your, to your sprints in a moment. So yeah, so with, so with that, thanks for giving us a, a bit of a context as to, as to your overall product development process. Shall we, shall we now take a look at some of your, the products that you've chosen to, to highlight? Yeah, let's do that. So yeah, maybe before we dive into that, I'm just going to give a quick intro on the team. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, so, so you do get some, some context on like what we're doing. So I'm working on this ad tech team. And as I said before, it's basically a team that is developing the strategy and automating campaign, aut campaign optimization for different channels. So by channels, I mean Google ads, Facebook ads, Snapchat, and so on and so forth. And why this is important is because Uber is operating in many countries, as you can see, 71 countries for mobility, 32 countries for delivery. So you can imagine that we do need to personalize and show ads and target ads to drivers, riders, couriers, eaters, 
across the globe in many different languages, in many different cities. So there are a lot of challenges that come with that. So we're, yeah. And excuse my complete ignorance about how Uber's ads works. Is, are we talking here about adverts that are, that, are, that are placed inside the Uber app and are then shown to Uber users? Or is it something slightly different? No, here we're, I mean, we also have that, but my team works on ads that are for acquisition, for user acquisition. So okay. basically we want to show ads to users who haven't tried Uber yet, who right. haven't ordered on Uber Eats. Oh, and a lot of our efforts are also in acquiring drivers and couriers to the platform, which is actually a very, very big, a big point. Okay, interesting. So, so you're working quite closely with the marketing team to, to kind of figure out which ad campaigns should run to attract users to, to Uber. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So the tools we are building are, for example, we work a lot with APIs, but it's tools for the Uber channel managers. So it could be to automate a certain operations instead of for of it taking it five hours, you know, it can just take five minutes thanks to our tool. Or it could also be data techniques, machine learning models, algorithm to optimize the spend and the return on investment of the ad systems, you know, to improve the targeting of users. I mean, of course, with a privacy first approach in mind, because this has been a big topic in advertising in the past the past couple of years. Other things could be detecting ad fraud or also build versus buy decisions. So should we, for example, use a third party for, for advertising or for doing certain ad operations or should we build it internally? That's also part of my role to, to decide that. And you and the Uber channel managers, would you say that they're typically your your core set of users? They are my core set of users, but I do also have other users. So it could be also other engineering teams that are using the system, or it could be the data science team is also using some of our tracking systems for their own projects. It could also, sometimes we also have built the tools for regional teams so that regional teams can easily give inputs at a global scale to the channel manager. So the core is the channel managers, which are the marketing managers, but then there are some other more users that are internal to Uber. Perfect. And as you said, it's actually really helpful working on an internal product because you're, you can access your users for user research yeah. and usability testing quite easily which I think a lot of people underappreciate. I think internal user, internal tool product management doesn't really get a lot of the, the spotlight that it, that it sometimes deserves because it's still, it's still, a, fun, it's still a, you know, a fully fledged product role and a product discipline. It's just that your users are probably a smaller set of users, but all the, all the different product skills that you need to be a product manager still apply to, to internal tools. And it's, I think it's important to highlight some of the, the benefits of being an internal tool product manager because sometimes I think some people you know almost like frown upon it and I've I've worked in I've worked in companies where I've worked only on internal tools and I've actually found it to be quite an enjoyable experience uh, because you get that instant feedback and yes you might not be reaching like millions and millions of users like you would be in a, on you know a consumer facing product but it's still it's still building products you still have all users that you need to you know build for and and, and make happy so I think it's important to, to highlight that 
But, but I mean, in my case, we do have the internal users, but at the end of the day, the ads were showing them to the actual users. I can use that wording. So in that sense, you do, I do need to have my internal consumers in mind. So the marketing managers, but I'd also do need to have the actual user experience at for, for external users as well. Yeah. So yeah. For example, one product that we recently launched is actually ordering Uber Eats directly from Google Maps. So in that case, we build the whole integration with Google to to enable this. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you've kind of got the the best of both worlds and the challenges of, of both worlds in the yeah. role. Okay, perfect. So shall we shall we take a look at the at the first product that you've, you've chosen to highlight? Yeah. So the first product is Coda. So Kada is actually a software that allows you to do many different things. And in, in my case, we, as a team, we use it specifically for tracking OKRs. So basically what we try to do is to have KRs that are measurable. I think that this is nothing new here, but we also try to measure a sort of have a baseline so that we can see what was the increase in, in that specific key results. And then we also try to have leading indicators in mind. So leading indicators are indicators that can have, be directly impacted by the, the project and the initiative that we're taking on. So I think this is also because we're working as platform PMs. So at platf as platforms PM, it might take some time to actually see how your product is influencing the bottom line, let's say increasing conversions, right? It might take it might take you maybe three three months to build it, and then it might take like other three months to actually see how conversions are improving because of that. So we usually try to have leading indicators. And I mean, let's we can go into the Coda template here. So for example, one thing that I'm working on, I mean, the, the, these are just some examples, it's not the actual OKRs I have, but yeah, I, no worries. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. So, for example, one project I'm working on is automating the campaign creation flow. So we want to automate and make it easier for channel managers to create a marketing campaign. And in that case, I mean, we will for, we will measure how, uh, how much time it takes to basically create a campaign before and after launching the product. In this case, this would be a leading key result. Then we will measure measure how much spends is supported by the new campaign creation flow. So we assume that we start from zero and then we want 90% of campaigns to go through this new flow. And then something like improving return on ad spend, this might more be a lagging indicator. So we might actually see an improvement much later. So, I mean, like why, why would improving the campaign creation flow also improve return on ad spend? Because often we don't just automate the process, we also add some sort of intelligence capabilities so that we're not just doing it in a more efficient and faster way, but we are also have this sort of data-driven models that do some of the decision-making and, and hopefully, you know, reduce errors and reduce gaps and so on and so forth. I really like the way you've broken it down between lagging and leading indicators because it's it's quite a subtle thing, but it makes a, a lot of difference, doesn't it? Like if you're building yeah. something, you, you might not see the results of it for another couple of months. And I think often teams will just be chasing key results, but actually you've, you've really got to let it 
settle in and embed before you start to see any results and therefore before you start to, to make any conclusions off the back of it. So that's a really nice way of, of just highlighting the different types of key results, I think. And, and then, sorry. No, I just wanted to say we do look at these on a monthly basis. So okay. you also want to pick something that's moving on a monthly basis because you want to show that that improvement to other stakeholders and to the leadership teams. Yeah. And how often would you... How often would you set these objectives and key results? Would this be something you do every quarter, every year, or how does it link back to your to your roadmap? Yeah. So we would set it every six months. Okay. We would track them, yeah, on a monthly basis. And what is it about Coda that you enjoy using? Well, I think it's very user-friendly. I mean, many of these things you could also do on G Sheets, right? But you would have to do much more formatting. And then there would be, there are some features, you know, that that you wouldn't be able to use. I mean, like this this bar is pretty, pretty nice. Yeah, what, what is that? So could you take us, show us that? That is a, yeah. that's just showing you this, the, okay, cool. So you can... Yeah. You can update it. There is also, I, I believe there is also a way to automate this. That, that's cool. I like that. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a really nice way to represent the yeah. zero to one scale, isn't it? Because it's meant to be a, like a scale. Yeah. And then, I mean, you also can set up different owners so you can use it if you're working across different teams and you can also have different views. So you can have a more summarized view of just the objectives and then more granular view with the objective and the key results. So that's also nice about Coda. Yeah, it's and it's a really nice clean interface as well. And is this something that you use across the whole Uber product team or is it just something well, that you personally use? Yeah. So actually this is one of the tools we just use in my um, internal team and then we we do we do share it with the leadership team in a different format. So we're we're actually just using it in the in the smaller team, let's say. Perfect. And are there any, I know you mentioned the slider and some of the other functionality. Are there any specific features or ways that you use Coda that you'd like to highlight to our audience? I know we've covered quite a lot there, but if there's anything else that, you, that springs to mind. I think, yeah, no, I, I just think like, yeah, the summary views are very interesting. Yeah, um, what was at the top there as well you got? Yeah. So basically this is automatically linked. So let's say that you want to update your objective and I don't know, ABC, then it will be automatically updated also in the table below. Perfect. And do you use Coda for anything other than OKRs? Do you use it for product requirements, documents or anything like that? Well, we have, we have tried using it for product requirements documents, actually. So that that's also ni nice to use it in that way. But we have seen that it gets a little bit tricky when you have a lot of stakeholders from different teams that are not using it. So in the end, we did revert to using G Sheets, the Google Suite, Google Docs app. Perfect. So that's that's your first product then, which is Coda. Thanks very much for showing us a, an example of how you use that. Do you want to move on to your, your second product? Yeah, so the second product, and I've heard that this has been mentioned a lot, is Smart Sheets. Yes, uh, yeah. very popular. Yes, so actually I didn't know Smart Sheets before joining Uber, but I think of it a bit as sort of more powerful because it does have a lot of functionalities. Like, for example, it automatically builds Gantt view, calendar views, Kanban views, so you can 
add your roadmap and then have different views and that you can use for also different types of use cases. Like, for example, the Kanban view might be useful if you're working with the engineering team, while the Gantt view and the calendar view might be more useful if you're in a meeting and you need to present it to yeah your internal stakeholders. Perfect. Uh, so do you use Smartsheets predominantly for roadmaps then? Yeah, predominantly for roadmaps. That's right. So yeah, uh, it's, uh, we, yeah, it's yeah. We've had a lot of people mention this, and I must admit, I hadn't really used it in the past. I've not, I hadn't really uh, heard of it to be honest. But I, and I think it's it's quite big in US based companies, but maybe not so in Europe. But obviously, you're you're based in in Amsterdam. Yeah. Maybe it's because Uber's an American company that that's also been chosen as a tool for for you as well. But yeah. Um, yeah, do you have do you have any examples that you could potentially share with us? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, let me share an example. So, I mean, this is not our actual roadmap, but this is more an example of how I would build it. So, you know, we would have a project and then under, let's say, launch new targeting system. Okay. And then under each project, we would have different milestones. So now we, we mostly use Smartsheet as a roadmap to, for basically communications with external stakeholders, leadership team, while for more day-to-day work, we use Jira. So the good old Jira. So <laughs> Yeah, so, we, that also is, is, is a very popular tool as we as we found out. Yeah. Uh, so you, you would use so you would use Jira and Smartsheets. Yeah. So Jira is more day-to-day. So it's basically for sprint, sprint planning and smart sheets would would more be for the six month roadmap. So what you want to deliver in the next six months and what are the milestones, especially that you want to deliver. Perfect. Imagine that, I mean, we use, we use a smart sheet on a really broad level. So for the whole paid marketing product team. So I'm, I'm, I'm working for example on, yeah marketing optimization but then we also have like the crm product team we have the seo product team we have the yeah many many types of marketing that we're doing that have internal product teams and we all track them here awesome and 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 how do you personally find using smart well i i like it i have to say at the beginning it I would say it's less user-friendly than Coda. At the beginning, there are there are just a lot of features and a lot of things you can do with Smartsheet. So it can be a little bit overwhelming when you use it at the start. But I once you get into it and once you start understanding all the capabilities that you have, it's actually a very powerful tool because it has a lot of features that are not available in other tools. So for example, summary views, you can, yeah, you can have like, this same type of roadmap, but have very different views depending on who are you representing it to, or what type of what type of question you're interested in, in in answering. So, for example, one thing we use it for is to understand resourcing of okay. engineers. Yeah. Oh. So we so I don't have a column here. This is just a sample. I but we would have a column with the estimate for each project and milestone. In engineering time, of course, it's a rough estimate because it's it's always hard to be perfectly accurate. But we would have we would have this estimate, and then we would basically link it with the resourcing that we have on the engineering team for that of for those months, and then we would understand basically based on that then where we need to make trade offs, 
where we need to pick drop off something or pick up something else, or we might also, you know, rearrange projects within teams to optimize capacity. And you mentioned that it allows you to do certain different, different, <coughs> different views. Yeah. Excuse me. So you can have one set of data and then you can almost represent it in different ways. And that sounds like that's exactly. one of the, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's one of the, that's one of the reasons why you, you like this tool. Yeah, so much. exactly. It's, it's a bit like a pivot table, but I would say with, with more features. Awesome. I know other tools like Airtable allow you to do a similar thing where you can take one set of data and then you can like splice it in different ways and represent it as a, as a Gantt chart or as a, or as a form even sometimes and like all different types of things. So this is, yeah, this yeah. definitely seems like the, the direction of travel for, for, for data management and pre presentation. Cause I can imagine this when you're presenting something, as you say, you want to tailor the, tailor the information into certain different formats, depending on who the audience is. So I can imagine how this is really helpful. You also mentioned as well there that you do estimations. And I think, one of this is one of the areas where our audience always finds interesting, which is, you know, how do you typically estimate things in your team? Do you do like T-shirt sizes? Do you do Fibonacci numbers? Like how, how would you typically estimate a chunk of work? Yeah, so we, we have been trying different approaches. So we have been trying T-shirt sizes for a while, but then we thought it was a bit too broad. So now we are actually trying to estimate it in terms of man-month. So okay. that's how we do it. Yeah, and yeah. we usually try to have sort of around like 50% of work to be product work. And then, so time of the engineers allocated to product work, then around 30% on engineering work and the remaining 20% and more on on-call issues or more miscellaneous types of tasks. And how accurate are your estimates typically? Uh, well, I mean, we, I think, I think at the beginning when we were doing estimates, like I, at least what I've noticed is that when you speak with the engineering team, they are very they are sometimes tend to be a bit more optimistic on how much time it would actually take to to deliver right. a certain thing. But I think what I've learned is to always have that buffer time because usually there are a lot of things that come up. Perfect. Thanks very much for showing us your example of smart sheets. That's been really really helpful. I think, and I think our audience will find that really helpful. Shall we move on to your onto your final yeah. product? And then the last one. So I guess this is something I wanted to have here. Okay. I mean, this is just a one-on-one agenda doc that you you can use like with your manager or with other stakeholders, other important stakeholders that you sync on a weekly basis. So I just wanted to have this here because I thought I know this is this is a long, a serious podcast. So I thought you would have a lot of PRDs and a lot of roadmaps and a lot of yeah product plans. But I thought this this would be maybe be something a bit different. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So this is just basically I think like sometimes we tend to underestimate like you know one on one's doc or we just have action items in it. And I have seen this template actually in a product management community. So this is not from me. I saw, saw it in this community and I really liked it. And I've actually used it with my manager. And then he asked everyone else in the team to be using this template. So okay, yeah. Okay, awesome. Do you want to quickly yeah. talk, do you want to talk us through it? And just, this is, yeah, so... there's different, different headings. 
Yeah. Nope. So, I mean, this is this business core. I'm actually not, not, not really using this part, but I think it is interesting. I mean, mostly, you know, sometimes you might have too much on your plate and you want to surface that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's like a, you would say to your boss how busy you are and mark yeah. it out of 10. Okay. I mean, you would never say you're not busy though. I don't you know. Would never, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you would. Be, it doesn't happen but yeah i i think this is more of an optional thing i i think i think it could be nice but i personally am not using it too much okay but yeah i do use the other sections a lot so i think the first section just project updates if you know the milestones are on track or if something is high risk or blocked so this is a bit of a yeah kind of like temperature check on yeah. how the project is advancing. And I mean, there could be other ways to do it. You could also link, you know, to the JIRA board or something else. But sometimes it's it's easier to, you know, write it down even for yourself. Yeah, definitely. And then, I mean, like priorities for the upcoming tasks. You might have like some priorities you want to share externally. Then other types of updates. So it might be like you have a resourcing issue or some sort of new requirement that just came up from a user or anything else, you know, even related to, to your yeah day-to-day payroll business trip. And then, I mean, I think this is more of a quarterly thing, like in terms of career discussion to also make sure that you have the time to do that. So at Uber, we usually have a career discussion. It's on a monthly basis. And we do have some, for product managers, we do have a set of product manager management principles based on level. And usually, yeah, you you do get feedback from, from your stakeholders, but from your managers on how you're doing on all these different components. Perfect. I think this this will be really, really helpful for our community as well. To be, I think it's important to like structure your feedback sessions. And oftentimes you kind of just expect the manager to just decide what the structure should yeah. be. But this way, you know, the the the, the, report, the person reporting into the manager can say, well, actually, this is how I'd like to structure my one-to-ones with you. So I think this is this almost like empowers the people who are being managed to be able to say, here's what I, how I'd like to structure our one-to-ones as yeah. well. And Uber pushes you a lot to be proactive in this sense. So, right. yeah, you should be the one that's, you know, set, set, setting up the agenda doc or like asking for the career conversation. So in that sense, this is something I was also not expecting at the beginning of my career. I thought, you know, it would be your manager that's kind of feeding you. But actually, it's it's a bit the opposite. So I like it. It, yeah. it, it's nice because it it, it it empowers you, but it also means that you're you can be proactive and it encourages yeah. that mindset of being like, OK, well, come to me with mm-hmm. solutions, come to me with problems, exactly. but also, you know, suggestions on how we can improve not just how you work, but also your career as well. So I, this this is quite a nice template, which hopefully people will find very useful as well. And I noticed that you're you're using Notion for the for the template. And is that something that you typically use in, in your role, Notion? No, we, we do only use Google Docs. So okay. the reason is, yeah, security reasons. Fine. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's that's really, really helpful. Thanks very much for sharing that uh, that final template with us. Yeah, I hope you liked it. I, I hope it's helpful for, for folks listening in. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And so... Aside from the three products that we've that we've covered, are there any other tools that you use personally on a day-to-day basis that you think, oh, do you know what? I couldn't live without this and I really think our audience would find it useful. So some people would use like productivity tools. I know you're using Notion here, but some people would use like Todoist and things like that to manage their life and 
all kinds of different random uh, tools for for calendar management. So, are there any are there any tools that spring to mind that you'd like to just give a shout out to, to as as things that you couldn't live without? Well, I guess pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> I do have my, my, pen and paper. my notebook, so my yeah. Okay, um, that's a good one. That's a great one. <laughs> Why not? What what would you use that for? Would you use like how would you use pen and paper? I think you know to to think to brainstorm to lay out your thoughts at least like initially or also to take notes within meetings I do like like doing it yeah on pen and paper or to-do lists as well and then kind yeah. of like reorganize my thoughts and put them you know on the on the internet <laughs> <laughs> online yeah, yeah perfect good that's that's a that's a great recommendation I think good old uh, pen and paper because even though like things like iPads and different tablets allow you to to draw on them. It still doesn't feel the same. I don't think. I, I don't know why, but I've tried. I've tried like drawing on iPads and things like that. But I think the fact that it's it's not permanent and you can just erase it and change it, it makes it feel. I don't know. It does. It, it doesn't make it feel as authentic. So once you, you know that once you've written on a piece of paper, it's there to stay, and you can look back at it at any point. Yeah. Whereas on digital tools, it just doesn't. It feels more disposable. It doesn't feel as as real. Exactly. And I do also think, you know, with the shift to remote work, like part of my team is in the US. So I, I work remotely a lot. Like most of my interaction is like on Zoom meetings. So you you also want to have that that component, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So much of our world now is digital, digital whiteboards, digital like product tools, all the rest of it. So having that solace where you can go back and just look at a physical piece of paper is good for your good for your brain i think good for your creativity perfect thank you thank you so much camila for taking some time out of your busy day are there any places that people can follow you if they wanted to are you are you on like linkedin are you on twitter are you on any other social media that people could follow you i guess linkedin so i'm not i'm not writing much but maybe in the future okay perfect thank you thank you so much for for taking time no thank you for you for inviting me and i really hope i mean this been a helpful session and uh, yeah i mean i i guess if if someone found found it helpful or will reuse some of the templates i I, i'd be really happy perfect thank you so much no thank you then have a good day yeah you too lovely to meet you cheers